Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bald Move Prestige Films. Uh, we're talking about a great one today. The Sixth Sense, 1999's uh, runaway blockbuster hit, cleaned up uh, quite a few awards, if I recall correctly. Horror psychological thriller um, written and directed by M. Night uh, Shyamalan. It stars Bruce Willis, Tony Collette, Olivia Williams, uh, Haley Joel Osment in his introductory role. Um, this, this dude knocks out of the park. Scored by James Howard, which I thought was, uh, you know, that the score does everything it needs to. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're here to, to talk about it. Um, this, it's been probably five or six years since I've seen this. I remember watching it one Halloween, I think just before we started doing the, the spooktacular, me and Cecily. So it's been a minute, uh, but I've, I've seen this movie quite a few times, six, seven, eight. Um, I really enjoyed my rewatch of it. Um, what did you think, Jim? Yeah, uh, I'm the same. I, I've seen it a few times in the past, uh, way back when it came out, say maybe a couple of years after that, I, I saw it, uh, and I really loved it. I thought, oh man, what a twist. And you know, that's the thing that everybody talks about with this movie. But yeah, sure. I was right along with him. Uh, amazing twist. It just keeps you engaged the whole time. And coming back to it 20 plus years later, it, it held true. Uh, everything that I loved about it the first time was still there. Um, I, I went into it like knowing now, um, like every time I watch it, I, I get a more firm grasp on what they're doing here with right. this, the big twist. Um, and, and obviously we're going to spoil the big twist here, right? There, there is no twist at this point. Everybody knows what happens. Uh, it's a meme. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I kept, I watch it now to check out the little things that they do along the way and the points where I should have the first time gone. Hmm. Suspect. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it holds up even on further watches. Yeah, I, that's the thing that I was really looking for on this watch is like, you know, what are the tells? Is everything internally consistent? Because I, when I watched this movie, I immediately watched it again. And oh. I wanted to see, like, did this movie um, play everything kind of straight? Or did this movie do a usual suspects? And this like, well, I just have to throw out everything I knew about the movie before and, and watch it with fresh eyes. And I am always amazed at how, like, pretty much face up this movie plays its cards and with a lot of skillful technique and some storytelling misdirection um, that he establishes just almost effortlessly in the first kind of 10 minutes of this film that carries so much weight that you don't you just like you just go right past flashing red sometimes literally red things <laughs> uh yeah drawing attention to the things that you should know um i i'm i'm guessing that you did not know the twist the first time you saw this movie because i did i did no, not i didn't either I knew that there was a twist because, you know, this film had had a certain a notoriety. And even then, like I was, you know, I was a much younger person, not as experienced in the ways of, of Hollywood. But still, it just bowled me over. And I think that's the thing is like, uh, I, I, I feel like 99 people walk in this theater out of 100 and they just completely bowled away. Like there's there. I'm sure there's a person that has put things together and, you know, did notice things and all that kind of stuff. But it's. It, it's really effective. Uh, it is. Yeah. I, I'm surprised like the first subversion or the, the first uh, time that you should be going 
hmm, something is strange here uh, is when they cut the camera away from him as he's laying on the bed uh, with the gunshot in, in his belly. And you should be thinking, oh, man, what what happened to him? Right. But then the camera comes back from a from a fade and we see him sitting on a bench across the street from this kid's house. And he's fall, watching him. That's researching long enough to heal his old from a gut shot, right? Yeah. yeah, you can survive that totally. Um, and, and you just kind of gloss over it. It's kind of amazing how how easily he's able to get you onto the next part of this story without even thinking really about what you just yeah. saw. Um, at least for me, that's how it worked. I, I got so wrapped up in what the story he was telling with this yeah. child and this uh, psychologist who's haunted by this this child that he failed and. It just it it brings you in and engages you in the story in a way that makes you forget about the mystery that that is that opening bit. And so many things like because it feels like their natural progression of time. You expect him to if he survives to heal. You also you saw their marriage on a certain trajectory that the wife was feeling like, mm-hmm. you know, that there's been a lot of sacrifices made and their relationship. Um, and then at the pinnacle of success, when presumably maybe he could start to reinvest some of that time in the family, maybe start a family of their own. Um, he gets shot by one of his failures. Um, he's also kind of wallowing in this fraud imposter complex. So it's mm-hmm. like when you see them and also the movie pl- is, is so brilliant in it's almost dreamlike quality of time. Like the only time we actually have a, a time period passing that's, that's, that's drawn attention to us by the movie. It's very imprecise next fall. Yeah. Well, when did he get shot? Was it the winter? Was it the summer? Was it like, you know, like everything and um, this movie reminds me of that line from Inception, like when you're in a dream, you don't realize where you got there or why you're there. Like Bruce Willis just appears in scenes. And, and he has to, because if you think about the logistics of being a ghost and getting into people's houses and uh, sitting across from them for what, an hour while they just stare into the into the middle distance and you're speaking to them like none of that makes sense outside the context of the ghost sees what they want to see. None of that would make any sense. And so, you know, you can put a line in there that just kind of, you know, blankets over that whole incongruity uh, that you would feel if, if he didn't put it there. Well, before we get to hardcore and spoilers, because I, I imagine maybe some people haven't seen this movie. This movie is now 22 years old. I imagine there's a lot of millennial okay. Gen Z audience that's like, I've heard of the legend. But, you know, this I mean, shit, man, this this movie is essentially like the godfather to us if we were 20, you know, like sure. in terms of I mean, how it's... fucking old it is, you know, and yeah, and how storied it is. Um, so, like, yeah, if you haven't ever seen this before, please now stop. Yeah, watch it. It's it's great. Um. I want to talk about um, just in broad things, some things, some M night Shyamalan things. Um, I feel like, and we just watched signs for our science fiction Sunday. So we're kind of on a little bit of an M night kick, you know? Um, I feel like, especially in the first three movies of his, that he had like this germ of an idea that is something from like the pop culture consciousness. For example, uh, this movie, um, the lens flares around ghost and photography. You know, like that was like a big hobby industry, like in the early goings of the Internet, like people just posting graveyard orbs and angelic lens flares and things like that. And he's like, oh, this is interesting. What if, you know, that's kind of like it's it's like his his big thing is that what if true signs had the same thing with crop circles. You know, what Mm -hmm. if these things actually are pointing to some kind of extraterrestrial fucking around? 
They, um, they don't do that much with it though. Like I'm, I'm surprised they've even left the lens stuff in there. The, the, the lens flare stuff. Cause it, it, I don't know. I get the impression that you don't really need that to believe that the mother would, would believe her do, son yeah. when she, yeah, when yeah, yeah. he finally tells her what's up. But like, it just it seems like a little bit that they could have pulled out. I just I just I was I you were right and just like um like uh what what kind of inspired Unbreakable is I I think like soul survivor stories right yeah, yeah um it's it's not that it's like a huge part of the movie it's more of like this was the acorn from which the maybe the like I'm trying to sure. uh, I'm trying to work backwards because I actually wasn't able to find a lot in direct interviews where he you know talks about his inspiration actually most of the stuff i've researched there's like a dispute between i think him and orson scott card about plagiarism um or maybe mm-hmm. it was law uh i i can't remember who he got in like a plagiarism uh debate about so it's like almost all the coverage about inspirations of the sixth sense goes back to that kind of like public spat so i i i, I didn't actually have so i was just trying to work backwards like what was the thing um but he has these kind of like these these inspirations, the things that set up like, you know, uh, what if ghosts? Uh, what if they're trying to talk to people? Um, you know, kids are kind of dicks. Um, you, It's hard for your parents to, to, to take you seriously sometimes. And he turns these all into these very tight, emotional situations like. And, and I guess that's the other thing is like now that I'm a parent, the movie hits extra hard, too, because like it must really suck to have a, a troubled child and feel like you can't do anything. There's nothing that you can do to make them feel better. Um, yeah, there are two and, two scenes that are really devastating uh, emotionally. And one of them is that scene where they're sitting at the kitchen table and she's trying to get him to confess to moving her grandma, her her mother's brooch or whatever it is into the drawer yeah, bumblebee thing yeah yeah uh and and he can't because he didn't move it but like it how can she believe him right because to 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 believe him on that is almost to admit that like you're crazy or like he's crazy or the, the ghost exists something like beyond reasonability so mm-hmm. y- you really feel for the mom in that situation and she yeah, I don't know. In that situation and in the car uh, when they, they are stopped at the accident, that's another scene where, holy shit, Tony Collette, great, great performance from her in this movie. No, it's it's devastating. And, and they have these really cool, like, like this is a very small cast. You know, we talked about there's mm-hmm. only essentially four principal actors and M. Night's floating around there, too. Um, <laughs> but everything works in, and Donnie Wahlberg. Everything works in his terms of, like, duo relationships like all revolves around uh, Cole's relationship with his mother uh, Cole's relationship with uh, um, uh, Malcolm Malcolm's relationship with his wife Um, I just think that like the way this thing because like that's the thing is like this on second third and fourth watches yes it's interesting to go back and see how tight the plot is and how the movie doesn't cheat and how like oh man I can't believe I missed that I can't believe I missed that but like really this stuff, this this the core of the engine of the movie where you have two people, you know, you got Haley Joe Osment as Cole and you got uh, Bruce Willis as Malcolm. Um, you know, Malcolm's at the top of his career in the first of the movie and Haley Joel is presumably at the lowest point in his life. And throughout the movie, uh, they like Haley Joel is kind of like this typical hero's journey. You know, he faces his fears. He comes out a more complete person. 
he integrates these things that always made him feel weird. And now he's accepted by his classmates and he's uh, understood by his mother. And Bruce Willis um, is on a slide where he actually realizes that the relationship that he's in with his wife that he thought was deteriorating this whole time. He's mistaken. That relationship's just over. It's gone. Yeah. It's never coming back. It's about him coming to grips with something that he's already lost. And I feel like even though, you know, you can't you can't really maybe um, get in the head of someone who's a ghost or who is seeing ghosts like we can feel the idea of like not, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, not being delusional, but being um, in denial about something being over um, sure. or being feeling like you're persecuted, or you're different, or you're strange, or you're weird, or you're going through some kind of yeah. trauma that no one else can understand, and how isolating and lonely that can be. And, that's and those really, things are so universal; it makes it works even even when the twist is is old news for sure. And you mentioned like the the relationship um, that the kids have in this movie and how it's depicted um, with you know the bullies and and the freaks, right? Um, th- this movie is all about uh, having compassion for those people. Uh, you know, if not being able to understand what they're going through, at least understanding that they are going through something um, and, and maybe not being dicks to them, maybe not judging them as harshly as we might want to. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it starts, you know, essentially on the very first note of this film with Donnie Wahlberg screaming about, yeah, you failed me, you know, um, all the way through to the end with Haley Joel Osment, uh finally, you know, getting somebody to believe him getting somebody to uh have some compassion for him and help him through this situation uh that finally resolves this whole thing and and showing compassion also to the ghost right who just need his help that's all they're asking for so it's it's really deeply embedded in this entire film the the ghost thing is really interesting because we talked a little bit about this during the signs movie because i think signs remain scary on multiple watches but like Mm -hmm. i find the sixth sense is significantly less scary when you go through it multiple times because you no longer see the ghost is trying to hurt him the ghosts are just trying to be understood and they're not you know they're maybe gory because the conditions of their 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 death but they're not intentionally trying to terrify or harass uh Haley Joel all that stuff is just seems to be incidental to them trying to get his attention yeah, um right. and it's also interesting about the like the compassion that you're talking about because I compare this to have you seen the movie Babadook I haven't no they, they have a lot of similarities and what's interesting is there's they both revolve around troubled children but the Babadook is all from the POV of the mom and I've noticed the audiences just fucking hate the little kid and Babadook. Um, huh. Everyone loves Haley Joel Osment because you see his point of view. But like, I challenge you to the to to point to the difference between the kid and Babadook screaming and yelling and carrying on, and like Haley Joel, you know, when he's doing the Stanley stutter, stutter Stanley or whatever, he's being like a real fucking dick, and you know, like. The kids are cruel, but you kind of can see it's like, I, you know, I, it, it's pretty beyond the pale them locking him in the closet. But like why kids would think this guy's just a weirdo because he's always acting up in class when people trying to be nice to them. He's got this absurd reaction about being seen and all that kind of stuff. But it makes sense because you get his POV. Yeah. I just felt like it's really powerful to show like. How much a person's POV can help you with that compassion and empathy um, for sure, you know. And and I think, you know, uh, the mom here played by uh, Tony Collette, um, 
is almost like an infinite well of patience. She like loses her patience with him exactly once. But like most parents, you know, like a parent, you you got an only kid and he's stealing shit from you. Like the instinct is to nail the kid and teach him the right from wrong and lying and not. And like, imagine how much trauma she'd inflict on him. If she just like made him confess to things that he didn't do. He's already like, there's so many heartbreaking details. Like uh, when uh, Bruce Willis asked him about what he likes to draw and how he got in trouble for drawing, you know, people with nooses around their necks and with Bruce with 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 gunshot wounds. And he's like, I learned that you can't draw that, you know, just stick to puppies and horses and rainbows because nobody gets called in the parent teacher conference. For that he's already shutting off so much of himself from his mother and everyone around them just so he doesn't become a burden. Um, yeah. And I, I, like I said, I, I just I, I love that stuff. And they also never make you uh, you talked about the, the POV coming from uh Cole in this movie, um, his mm-hmm. mom never becomes a villain, right? Like, even though no. she does, you know, blow up at him once, you understand like how much patience she has. Like you said, um, it it every time she goes to that edge and she's about to, you think like in a horror movie, oh, the the parent would be part of the problem, right? Here, she's very much trying to be part of the solution, and I think that really helps the story because you feel like he's got an ally, but he's trying to protect her as much as she's trying to protect him. And because she doesn't have all the information, she just can't do anything for him. Um, And and even if she did have the information, like that's the, that's the catch 22 here, right? Like he could tell her, how would you believe something like that? How could you? Right. Yeah. And she's got this really, I think a really great parenting technique about look at my face, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because she's clearly, uh, even the time where she blows up and she goes off and she's clean and she's weeping because, you know, she's scared and she's afraid for her son. And when her son comes in and asks if he can sleep with her tonight or is she too mad? She's like, look at my face. Do I? She uses this throughout the movie. And it's always like, you know, she's trying to reassure him that, like, he's fine. She's not worried. But this time she's like, yeah. look at my face. I don't I'm not angry. I'm just sad. And I'm worried. And, and confused that's and a scared. And yeah. It's a it's I thought is actually a really good parenting technique for what the 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 but you, you're right. You never feel like she is the problem no. uh, or she is made to be a villain, um, which is pretty amazing for a 22 year old horror movie uh, that often makes, you know, like like kids in horror movies are only designed to make you feel sympathy, you threaten them so that you feel extra here. Like it's a fully realized character. And I guess yeah. maybe it's appropriate to talk about like what a singular performance this, this Haley Joel Osment uh, was able to deliver here. I mean, how fucking good he is as a, as a nine year old in this movie. Um, sure. Carrying really complicated scenes. Like Bruce Willis is an excellent scene partner. Tony Collette turns out, uh, I don't think she was known for much at the time. I could be wrong here, but um, she's, it turns out she's a really good scene partner too. And is a little bit of a, a horror screen queen uh, in the making in this movie. But he you know that that scene that he does and where he's like the 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 gives away the whole movie that i see dead people they don't know they're dead um that's really hard to do that like that breathy thing he's doing could come across so like annoying or intentionally or affected but he just comes across (laughs) as a kid that's barely afraid to raise his voice because he doesn't want to draw any attention to himself because every attention in this world seems bad to him yeah it's constant. I, I was bracing myself when that line was about to come up and I knew it when the camera, you mm-hmm. know, zooms in on him. I'm like, 
oh boy, is this going to be as good as I remember it? it? It absolutely was. He nails it. Um, yeah, I, I expected something cheesier in the delivery. I expected a hint of like, oh, I roll. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no meme. I mean, it is definitely a meme, but it's like in that scene, it's not. And I think that I, I was reading a little bit and, um, the cinematographer and M Knight were discussing whether they should tra- trim the scene or keep it tight on Haley Joel's face because they thought that that push in shot on Bruce Willis face when he says, I see dead people, they don't know they're dead, uh, that it was going to give the movie away. Mm-hmm. But like he's like they're like, you know, they we they watched several test audiences and no one reacted in the way they thought people thought you know, that there'd be a whole bunch of big I bet Bruce Willis is the dead guy. But he's like, <laughs> it's not. And I wonder is it like that the Haley Joel Osment is like such a mirage that people like you because at this point you probably you could certainly have all the tools to put together the the piece of puzzle and, and the slow push in on Bruce's face feels like if you're in the know this is obvious yeah but also it's just a really great shot of an adult reacting to something fucking bizarre and weird and also very real because this kid is is clearly tormented by it mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying like to me, it's like it's it's not like him suppressing a realization about himself. It's more of him trying to keep that clinical mask of like he's he's like, oh, this kid's super, you know, disturbed. Like he's like full on hallucinating things. And also, you know, this is so much like the patient I had before and the scary situations I had with them. Um, it it yeah. doesn't come across as a tell at all. You just get lost in the performance, especially in the Shyamalan does this with you know scene after scene when you combine it with what comes after it where he's like oh i can't help this kid then retroactively your brain says oh that zoom in is all about his realization that this kid like you said is far more disturbed than than he knows how to uh counsel away right um yeah he he, won't be able to help him And, and Haley joel is so so good throughout this movie and it it doesn't have like a huge range that he has to try and do because most of the time he's this scared uh, boy who is just trying to, to get by every single day. Um, And he's, you know, running from shadows uh, and kind of like shrinking away from stuff. But then there are moments where, and one of my favorite ones in this movie is when uh, he tells Bruce Willis what, um, you know, what his problem is. I see dead people. Bruce Willis goes, oh boy, I can't help you. And they're not going to see each other anymore. And then he comes back and he finds, he finds Haley Joel in the church and Haley Joel has this attitude about like, oh yeah, no, now you get it right. Like, oh, you're, mm-hmm. you're back, huh? Uh-huh. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's got this hilarious affect uh, to him. And then at the end, when he has sort of integrated his affliction, let's say, um, into his life a little bit more and understood these yeah. ghosts. He's, he's, you know, he's flipped a switch there where he can be kind of a, a more, a happier, lighter presence on screen. And I think he nails all of it. Even there's some early good work where him and his mom are like trading what their fantasy life, you know, like she yeah. says that I went and had this picnic in the park and I swam and like, he just kind of lights up and like, you know, uh, and he's also like, I, I don't know why they went away with this, but the first time we see him, he's wearing these enormous Coke bottle glasses, which makes me think of like the, what was that? The Jonathan Lipnicki from, uh, uh, what's that Tom Cruise movie where show me the money. You had me a hello. Oh, uh, 
Yep. Todd Jerry Maguire. Yes. Like I like they seem like they were really leaning into that or the or the Harry Potter look. And he's just isn't that one scene. And I'm like, man, I don't remember him wearing these big glasses, but he's fucking adorable. Like, mm-hmm. I, I guess they decided he didn't need the crutch or it was going to interfere with his performance later on. Um, but he he's just really good. Now, let it be said, I actually think M. Night uh, is very good with children like those first three movies. Uh, Haley Joel Osment knocks it out of the park. Good for him. Uh, the second kid that's Bruce Willis's son in Unbreakable is really makes the rest of the performance work. And he's very, very good. I thought both of the kids in uh, uh, Signs that we saw last night were very good uh, in, in kind of like weirdo roles that could traditionally seen as output uh, off putting. Um, I think it must be hard to direct kids because like they don't have like, <laughs> thank God, or, you know, usually they don't have the like vast experience of the human condition to call upon you know yeah. like what it's what it looks like to do be a panic attack what does it look like you know to be insanely angry what's it look like but he's got in mind what he wants this child to do and is somehow able to explain because um, i i think it's yeah obviously Haley joel is very talented but when you see so many child actors that are so good and that's what ultimately, and maybe we can talk about this towards the end, but like so frustrating about Avatar The Last Airbender because he gets nothing <laughs> from those kids. Yeah. He gets nothing at all from them. Um, and, and roles where they're meant to be to, charismatic. To, yeah, it might be easier to work across from Bruce Willis than it is across from a green screen. That's, that's the only thing I can imagine. It's possibly probably. possibly um maybe it's just anytime he gets out of setting something in philadelphia it just all goes yeah it all goes pear-shaped for him yeah all right uh before uh, we move on here let's take a break i wanted to talk about some of the other things that that are in, were certainly intriguing when i saw this movie the first time i was probably 18 maybe 19 i don't know i was young when i saw this the first time and so there were a lot of concepts mm-hmm. in here that were just interesting to me because they were new um, and they seemed completely novel and one of those is I think it's called Munchausen by Proxy Um, it's just the poisoning of this child by her mother um, that led to her death eventually and how she had then started doing that to the youngest the younger daughter Um, and and over the course of this uh, wake or whatever it is the, the you know ghost helps Haley Joe Osmond expose this and uh, he brings the box in and it shows the father and she's presumably arrested and charged and, and whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was such, I had never conceived of that concept. Um, and maybe this, mm. you know, <laughs> says something about my childhood where I had, I had parents who did not try to murder me. So yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. pretty nice. Uh, but I just hadn't thought the like, Oh, this is a thing that happens. And I certainly didn't know the term for it. And so when I saw this, I was just kind of blown away by how dark and disturbing that was. And, and that's, that's not the only occasion, but that's like the big one. Yeah. It's a lot of like the sharp object stuff. Um, and also like yeah. when I, I, I paid a little bit more attention to this too, because um, they make a big deal about how far away this ghost was. Like most of the people that Haley Joel uh, interfaces with are people that are like, you know, he's walking through a school 
on the grounds where people were hung or the school burnt down, there's a lady burnt or there's a person, you know, in this wreck here. Like it's all kind of very localized, but this ghost is, is traveled a long distance to get to Haley Joel because she is trying to protect her little sister, you know? And there's that really great scene where Haley Joel is talking to the littler sister and talking about how much her sister loved her. And it, you know, it's like, they don't, they don't really connect the dots. This is something I notice on multiple watches is like that. Just, yeah, and that's why this show, this movie is so much fun to 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 rewatch. Is there's so much depth. There's mm-hmm. so many of these throwaway lines that, like, when you're watching it and things connect, um, it's it's so much more of a a, a deeper deeper experience. Um, yeah. Did you know that the puke girl, the the Manchester by proxy victim, is uh, Misha Barton? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I've really seen her in much of anything else. I know, I know she was name. like blew up as a hot girl. She was in the OC, which I never, never watched, watched in a couple it. movies. But like no. I, I yeah, I, I uh, noticed that in the casting. I just want to point it out. But yeah, she, I'm um, sure there are big Misha Barton fans out there. I'm I'm not one of them. She's fine, and she's yeah. good in this. Uh, yeah. There's also mother. yeah. Oh, I was going to say just like uh, the other thing is um, they, there's a whole bunch of rules that they built up around the ghost. The ghost can't really manipulate physical matter unless they're in a very extreme emotional straight. The fact that like this girl traveled that distance across town was able to rip open Haley Joel's ghost tent that no other ghost had able to do. It's like there's all these things that kind of like stacked up to show like just what a ball of fire this little ghost girl was about saving her littler little little, little kid sister, which I thought was touching. Um, you, on this time, you hinted at something early on in this podcast uh, about red. Sometimes you said something about there sometimes being literally uh, red flashing lights. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And this, you know, Misha Barton with the ghost tint stuff brings me to it because that tint is red. And mm-hmm. so, if if you look at this movie, and this is something I noticed, probably I think for the first time during this watch. Um, and then I went back afterward and I saw, oh, yeah, no, this is a thing people are talking about. And it's it's very much intentional. If you look at some of the scenes where there's a ghostly presence or where there's a very strong um, emotion around a ghost presence, there are a lot of things in those scenes that are red and they use red to sort of signify that. So yeah. the the biggest one, the one where I started noticing it was at the birthday party, I think, uh, yeah, the bully's yeah, birthday yeah, yeah. party. Uh, that he's wearing a red sweater that balloon that flies up to the, the stairwell ceiling is red. Um, Mm. I think there's one other red thing in that scene, but, but I, I definitely was like, Oh, okay. I'm connecting the dots. And then the one that surprised me that I was like, aha, I see what you did there is when Bruce Willis is listening to the tape recorder and you look at the volume knob, all the, the numerals are painted red. Yeah, well, no, they go from, like, as he turns it up, they're white, but when he gets to, like, <laughs> presumably the unsafe range, which okay. coincidentally is where he starts hearing the ghosts, they turn, like, I think they go, like, there's one that's orange, and then they go red. Nice. And I, I, I so I was, I, I was, that's one of the things I was wanting to do, because I knew about this, and I was wanting to write down all the red things, and, mm-hmm. and when I got to that, because I noticed most of them the first couple of times, like, the handle, all this stuff, I, the handle I noticed a couple obvious, new yeah. ones. Like Tony Collette, when she's going over all those pictures of Haley Joel's Osmet seeing the lens flares, all her nails are painted like a fire engine red. Huh, okay. um, you know, the, the handle on the door. But like that one really blew me away that like the volume turns red when he gets to the ghost volume. I'm like, God damn, damn. that's really fucking slick. 
Uh, and in that, he said in the interview that they're like the red is supposed to like designate physical objects or characters that are at the transition between life and death. Um, and there's a couple okay. like uh, um, the uh, the mother of the the pute girl, <laughs> Misha Barton. Uh, she's covered. She's wearing a red sweater and she's surrounded by red roses, you know, because she's like literally surrounded by death. She's kind of like this this stepmother of death. Um, but yeah, I, I, I there's so so many of those like uh, Bruce Willis's wife r- wrapped up in a red blanket when she's shivering in the cold at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, it's, and the it's all really strong. So yeah. I didn't get okay. The doorknob is an obvious like flashing red light here. Um, it's amazing to me how well they camouflage that within the movie, though, because it, it there are several insert shots that are close ups of Bruce Willis grabbing the handle yanking on that door it making a, mm-hmm. a racket and not opening and they do it multiple times in this movie and every time i'm like what the hell is that all about and then they cut to something else and i get so engrossed in the next scene that i totally forget that mm-hmm. i should be focused in on that doorknob uh, it, it's kind of remarkable how easily they trick me into not thinking about it for the next 15 minutes yeah, and and like because they when you're talking about those inserts, I was paying a lot of attention to those because he like when he he, he like pulls and like you know rattles and like, I can't write, and then he puts his hand in his pocket looking for a key, but then they cut away, uh-huh. and then and, and presumably he's down in the basement, and so he gets in there somehow, and I like. What I don't know is whether he just met- apparates down there and like he's just haunting his basement. Um, but I've got this theory that like, yeah, the wife notices there's all these weird shit happening around and she progressively mm-hmm. like, OK, the door keeps opening and shutting. So she locks it. Then the door gets unlocked. So like finally she barricades it with like this table. Yeah. And like he just because like she's, you know, when when you look at this from her perspective, she's also dealing with all a bunch of spooky supernatural shit. Um, and you know they also there's a hint or two. So let's talk about like the the camouflage that because uh, like I said we, he he lays all these cards face up on the table, but he does camouflage them a little bit. Yeah, I noticed that in the very first scene where Bruce and uh, his wife are talking about his award, um, she puts on a shawl and she kind of shivers. And I'm like, yeah. oh, interesting. They kind of put this as a character trait of hers because, you know, she's she's kind of shivery. And so that way, when you notice her shivering throughout the movie, you're not going to think, oh, Bruce Willis ghost. But she's probably shivering because this Mark Wahlberg is brought. Not Mark. Dan, this was Danny. Wal. this is wait. Donnie. Um, yeah. Donnie. The guy, the guy thank from you. Saw. The, yeah. the OG Wahlberg. Uh, he's probably bringing his whole fucking menagerie in with him. And that's why she's shivering because yeah. she feels his presence. Almost to the extent that, like, maybe she has got a little bit of sensitivity to ghosts as well. Maybe. Um, I hadn't considered that. I know that they do other things, too. Like, they leave windows open near her occasionally so that you could conceivably think, oh, well, there's a draft coming in and she would be cold. Maybe, you know, it's autumn in Philadelphia. It's going to be chilly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, They do a lot of really good camouflaging in this. Um, and and the, the 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 best one is the 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 trajectory that he puts Bruce Willis as he gets gunshot is a project like a plausible trajectory that his marriage would be falling apart. 
and like and then man, he would become obsessed those... and and pour himself even further into this into this the case, next case because right? he yeah. has to feel like you know this kid killed himself um mm-hmm. and you know uh and, and that's true and it's just him too he does it from the other side of of existence right <laughs> he's like yeah and like you just don't notice like when he goes for the first hat the anniversary you know and he sits there on that table like he's running late and she's finishing her dessert and she's not making eye contact with him you can anticipate you can read that as her just being furious that once again he's put like after he almost got killed through because of his work that he's throwing himself into work and ignoring an important occasion again and you know he's kind of pouring he's like hey i'm sorry blah 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 and she just kind of like as he goes to reach for the check she grabs it from him and says happy anniversary and yeah. it feels like really fucking cool but she in 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 reality she's just hung up on him and also they strongly imply that like uh he is the one that's keeping her hung up like his continuing to be around her is what's kind of tethering her because she's trying to you know and you see like i I love the scene where the young guy first calls on her and he's like keep moving cheese dick because he thinks this guy is like moving in for an affair but it's her trying to take steps to like move on relationship and then when he catches him was it hugging or kissing and he shatters the window um you know it just again it it, it, it just feels naturally like this guy is again seeing a dis- disintegrating relationship he probably should invest more time in it but he can't because he's got to save this kid and that's noble and then the, the ultimate tragedy is it's already too late nothing he can do can change the dissolution of the marriage it's already gone he's dead yeah um, and i like uh, you know you we talked briefly about the the doorknob and the how like I didn't read that as like oh she's experiencing spooky things happening. I, I read that more as she is trying to close off that part of her life because honestly, mm. like when I was watching this this movie, I didn't realize that that was even the basement door. I had no idea mm. what this door was because it's like under the stairs. I thought it was just some kind of storage. He's trying to it's get into whatever. Harry Potter. <laughs> but yeah, I guess like and and there's that very first shot right in the movie where the light bulb comes on. And she is down in the basement getting a bottle of wine to celebrate. And there's something uneasy about that whole space for her. And so when she later, you know, at the end of the movie, it's revealed she's blocked it off with this table. You can kind of understand that, okay, this has now a double a double meaning for her, right? This is, for, su- for some reason, I, I don't know why Bruce Willis and this big fancy brownstone or whatever in the middle of Philadelphia is working in mm-hmm. the basement. I don't know if that was his office before this, uh, before he died. I think so or yeah, yeah, that's his little little uh, child psychologist. Cave. That's wild, man. He's probably got at least three bedrooms in that thing, right? <laughs> Use one of those. Maybe, yeah. I uh, and that was just wild to me. But I, I like that, like she would block it off emotionally and physically, um, because she's trying to just trying to get by, having lost him. One of the things I wondered about this movie, uh, this I guess is a seventh or eighth time through it, is at what point does Cole, which his last name Seer, which I thought was interesting because it's like, you know, it's a fairly common last name, but also it's Seer, you know. Um, at what point does he become aware that Bruce Willis is a ghost? Does he know right away? Immediately, I think, yeah. You think so? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, I, There's definitely a point in the movie where he comes to the conclusion, and I think when he says, I've got, I'm ready to tell you my secret, I think my I always thought that's when he figured it out um, hmm. because Bruce Willis doesn't look like a dead guy. 
And the only way you can see that he's dead is if he sh- if he's not wearing a sweater and not wearing his his coat because his exit the entry wound is like covered by his belt and is small and not bloody. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I don't I don't know because I think that is is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. I took because- the I took him running from Bruce Willis as being acknowledgement that a ghost is chasing him and that he wants to get out of there, and that happens immediately. When does that happen? It's it's the very first thing after uh, Bruce Willis gets shot. It fades to black. It comes back up. He's sitting across the street watching Haley Joel come out of his house and onto the street. And then he chases him down the street because uh, Cole just takes off running. Does he? Cha- I, I thought that Cole just takes off, took off running because that's what he does. He like he he, he, might. he dashes yeah. from place. But I, I didn't know that there was an interaction where he was actually chasing him. Interesting. There is. That- he's, well, I, I, that's the thing. I'm not sure if Cole is. Aware I thought he was just doing like uh, recon, recon on this kid that he, you know, like this is just his deal. He goes with a note, notebook, and he's he kind of tries to see how yeah. he interacts with his peers and his parents with sub surreptitiously, and mm-hmm. yeah, and you know that that's the other thing. Um, the first time where he sits there and he's sitting there with his mom, like you should know like that that is like, well, she, cause she doesn't acknowledge him at all. And he just goes, she goes over there and starts with this, like, Oh, I had this perfect day. But then she gets up and says, you've got an hour, which is the standard time. A therapeutic thing lasts. And like, you yeah. can kind of like, also it's probably how long it takes her to make dinner. Um, but it, it does throw you off. Like you got this idea that like the mom and Bruce has had this long heart to heart and that he's home and it's time for, you know, him to clock in and work with him. It's 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 real it's real real strong. So I you mean, think that he whole knew from scene the beginning. is brilliant, man. Like the, oh, that, yeah. that the the conceit here of this game, right? This, so there are a couple things that they do, like the magic trick, the game that they play here with one step forward, one step back, that kind of thing. That is that is a writer kind of at the peak of their game, a screenwriter, because they are visually integrating Shyamalan here is visually integrating the storytelling mm-hmm. with what's happening on the screen and it mm-hmm. is it's so good and, and when you see Bruce Willis like think he's got this kid's number right I've seen these cases so many times yeah, this yeah. is just one of those daddy left you and you're holding on to his yeah. things because you miss him he's right to a degree right and he gets a few steps forward but then when he starts stepping back things get dark and you're like oh mm-hmm. oh no this is far more serious far more complex than he thought at first it's just a great way to tell that story and bruce willis has we've remarked on this many occasions uh, uh on screen he has an immense amount of charm yeah that works on both men women and and children but in m night's films like he's turned to like the lowest setting of dim of his personal light bulb, like in sure. both uh, Unbreakable and, and The Sixth Sense. He's just barely speaking above a whisper, like all the colors drain. He's at an emotion. He's at a very low point in his life. And the only point in this movie, really the only point he comes alive is when he's pissed off at his wife's lover. And when he's interacting with you and know, he turns on his Bruce Willis charisma with, like you said, the magic trick and the, I, I can read your mind. And it's really cute. And it works because the, we know this is is Bruce Willis in a hairpiece, and he's turning on his charm for this kid. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't feel something he doesn't feel, um, and it it just it just works so well. I really like the arc of again you know him achieving the pinnacle of success and feeling like 
he is still a failure and then his fa- one of his one of his failures actually comes and kills him all oh, by the way Donnie Wahlberg I guess M Knight asked him to lose a little bit of weight to give him a kind of a gaunt uh, and he thought he'd lose like five or ten pounds this guy rolled in 46 pounds lighter uh, and you can like it's he's almost unrecognizable <laughs> yeah I, uh, I was shocked when I saw him in the credits and I'm like Donnie Wahlberg no that can't be him yeah yeah he's so fucking tormented and tortured um but it it sets up this like again the this, the dual structure of him being at a high point and descending into loss and essentially his arc is accepting oblivion you know yeah uh letting his wife move on with her life and letting him move on with his own life at the same time Haley Joel's uh, uh arc rises i thought that there's that that middle point where he says i see dead people i thought there's something structural there but that's when he realizes that he's dead and there's almost a switch between therapist and patient because in the end yeah. he's the one giving him advice like hey if you you know let me uh, i think i have a way for you your wife to hear you make sure you talk to her when she's asleep and you know because he's 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 the ghost whisperer he knows these things i still remember this this like it like it was yesterday when that you know they build up this point and when that you know he's given this speech about like hey, he's all this distant and her she's starting to shiver and then when the ring hits the ground and rolls out it's such a great moment. And there's another piece of camouflage that M Knight used because um, I guess Bruce Willis is a lefty and they realize early on in the script that he's going to have to write. And if he writes with his left hand, you'll see that the wedding ring isn't there. And that's something. So he taught himself how to write right handed just enough to take notes and whatnot so that he wouldn't spoil the, the wedding okay. ring. Re- that that explains too. the, the note written in red that we see. Uh, like scribbled in red. Bruce Willis must have wrote that on set, right? As practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's playing awful. a doctor, so that's always a nightmare. And then sure. you know, he's he's also writing. He's a southpaw <laughs> writing, writing righty. Uh, I want to talk uh, more about the structure of this movie, but let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and yeah, let's do it. All right, let's talk a little more in depth about the structure of this movie because it's not very conventional. This is a strange movie in its structure. Because if you look at this movie, a lot of it, the first half of it, maybe there's really only the barest hint of any kind of ghost story, uh, any kind of horror whatsoever. Um, yeah, it, it, and it's structured uh, similarly to like an unbreakable. Shyamalan's got some things that he likes to do, right? He likes these home invasion stories um, where somebody breaks mm. in and disrupts the cozy family life you have. Uh, and that's the catalyst for the rest of the film. Uh, they do that here, but the first half of this movie, right up until uh, Cole's secret is revealed, and he says, "I see dead people." Th- the first half of this isn't really much of a ghost story. There, there's a couple of scenes. One really notable scene where the mom, um, or Tony Collette, uh, is you know trying to clean the the stain off his tie, puts it in the laundry room, comes back to the kitchen four seconds later, and all of the pantry doors are open, all of the drawers, everything. It's it's a freaky scene, but you're not sure what's going on there, right? Right. Uh, and up until I see dead people, we don't actually see any ghosts in this movie. And it's really yeah. it's really interesting because then it turns into almost full on horror. And then by the end yeah. of it, it's like no longer a horror movie, right? <laughs> there are there are like three pieces to this movie that all work together so well, because even in that first yeah. half, I'm not thinking, man, when are they going to get to the horror? I'm thinking. This is a super interesting story. Uh, these characters are great. I'm, I want to see what happens. 
Yeah, and like I said, with even without the supernatural element, the relationships within the characters and their arcs kind of work. I mean, I, I guess Bruce Willis has to be a ghost, or his arc doesn't work at all. Yeah, but yeah. like all the other stuff, like it's yeah, the paranormal stuff, and even the twists. Like that's the thing. Like this is there's a few there's a few things that if you it's just a twist, and once you get that, like the rest of the movie's uh, not as entertaining to watch. Um, but what I think makes uh, M Night at his best, and guys like Christopher Nolan. Um, is they make these twisty movies and they're almost always enjoyable on multiple because they're always well grounded emotionally. Like mm-hmm. it's not just you're scared and it's a thrill ride thing. It's also just a really at the heart. It's a really good movie in, in the same way that like um, I remember we did the podcast for uh, The Exorcist. Like I was expecting that to be a world class horror film. I was not expecting it to be like just a really good piece of filmmaking on top of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like uh, we, we talked a little bit about this on, on last night's live stream. But, you know, when I was growing up, horror was kind of at a low point. Not, not it, it's it was like the best of times is the worst of times. Right. Because there's mm-hmm. so much horror being made. There's all this schlocky, just gallons of Cairo syrup with red food, you know, and, and guys in hockey masks and guys in razor blade gloves. And there wasn't like dread and real yeah. horror it was slasher shit right um but like this movie uh is really and, and also like it got nominated for a bunch of awards i'm not sure how many it actually won uh, yeah let's talk about that it didn't win any awards which kind of shocked me really um, it, it, this was a weird year so the 70 what second academy awards uh mm-hmm. in 2000 kind of dominated by american beauty um, Sam Mendes oh. won Best Director. It won Best Picture. Uh, Kevin Spacey won Best Actor for all for that movie. Uh, hmm. Best Screenplay, American Beauty. Um, so it kind of soaked up all the awards. But uh, Sixth Sense was nominated for six awards. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, and Film Editing. Um, it lost three of those to American beauty, four of those to American beauty. Um, no three supporting was actor. Bruce Willis was, is supporting and then Tony Collette for supporting actress. Yeah. Haley Joel for, yeah, the supporting actor and Tony Collette for actress. Oh, Haley Joel. So Bruce Willis didn't get recognized at all. I guess he'd be the lead. Wouldn't he? Yeah. He, he was not uh, even nominated. Angelina wow. Jolie won that for girl interrupted, which I haven't seen though. I, I hear it spoken fondly either. Yeah, yeah. And Michael Caine won for Cider House Rules. Hmm, another one I haven't seen. And film but editing. It's Michael Caine, so. Here's the other remarkable thing. 1999, I mean, to me, stands out because of The Matrix. Right. And The Matrix is damn near absent from a lot of these categories. Like, I'm shocked. So it won Best Film Editing. Uh, it won, you know, Best Visual Effects, stuff like that. But there are things like best cinematography that probably should mm-hmm. rightly go to the Matrix for having invented mm-hmm. a camera technique that will just sure. be used yeah. in everything for the next 25 years, right? Right, uh, right. Completely unrecognized in cinematography. It wasn't even nominated in cinematography. That uh, sucks. American Beauty ended up winning best cinematography, which strange to me. Uh, best art direction was Sleepy Hollow. Like why? Really? Yeah, really? Tim Burton getting the. Uh, yeah, wow. Well, you know, sometimes the Oscars uh, they don't look so well in uh, in hindsight. 
yeah. but um i guess i guess you can't blame them for not seeing the trend that would be the matrix filming techniques well i what blew me away because i well after i get done with my one of the last things i do um after i get all my research done is i i like to read roger ebert's review mm-hmm. um and I always feel gratified when he points out stuff that I point out. And I always feel kind of chagrined when he hits on things that I missed. But give this movie three stars. Now, if you know Roger's personal metric, he grades things like by genre, like, you know, four star. Like if he gives true lies, four stars, that doesn't mean it's as good as the Godfather. It just means, hey, right. Of action popcorn flicks. This is about the best example that you can make of one. What's a better psychological horror film than The Sixth Sense? I'm not saying it's the best of all time, um, but it's up there, like across all genre, across all generations. Like, what is hand? What's the four star one that it? So, like, I maybe there was a little bit of sleeping on it. Here, here's the other thing: um, when I think about M Night Shyamalan's style. He doesn't he's not real flashy. It's not that he sure. doesn't like what 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 I know his, his scripts are tight um at least his initial ones. Uh everything is very well emotionally grounded and it works in a suspense like in a Hitchcockian way. It's like unparalleled. Some of the things he does yeah. to increase tension and in this and signs and uh and, and unbreakable are incredible. But he doesn't have like a signature, you know, it, it, everything's very restrained. The camera doesn't move frantically. There's a few kind of nice, like uh, sky shots, like some of the staging was good. Like, you know, Bruce Willis standing in the, uh, the central area of the, the church. And then Haley Joe's kind of stalking around in the balcony, mm-hmm. uh, literally having kind of the moral high ground in the conversation. Some of that stuff is, is good. There's that great spiral shot. Uh, there's a shot of the spiral staircase with the, the balloon going up and then the kids looking up at Haley uh, through that. Some of that stuff is good, but it's 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 not really flashy. Maybe it's so buttoned down and restrained and emotionally muted that it just didn't register as the like giga hit it is now. Because 22 years later, this is a classic. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. For good reason. Um, and there are, you know, occasional flourishes, like you mentioned the, the stairwell scene, but there's one shot I noticed after having watched this yesterday and then going directly into signs, I noticed a couple of similarities between like things that he does consistently in his movies and maybe just these early ones, but these two both have shots of specifically reflections of the main characters in awards that they've won, like yeah they shoot like the 507 footer plaque reflecting mel gibson or whoever or maybe watching phoenix and signs at the beginning of this movie they shoot uh bruce willis and uh his his wife i shit, i don't remember her name i've seen her in a couple other things like rushmore um olivia williams yeah the only thing i've ever seen her in yes. uh, is, is is rushmore that's that's it but they shoot them reflected in his uh you know plaque for his prestigious plaque for child trauma psych- healing psychology yeah uh-huh whatever he won um so he loves to do that uh like i said he loves the home invasion he kind of loves people driving and then falling asleep while driving because in signs that's a whole plot point in this bruce willis tells a story he tries tries to tell this like read a bedtime story or make up a bedtime story for this kid Haley joel osmond and he's like talking about this guy who's driving, he's driving, he's driving, he falls asleep. And then he wakes up and he's driving, and he's driving 
which sort of feels like the beginning of this movie as well. Like, mm. you know, he's 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 diagnosing, he's diagnosing, he gets shot, he falls asleep, he wakes up, he's still diagnosing. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it feels like there's something he's trying to do with that story in here, but but he uses the same type of story in this movie as well. Yeah, honestly, car wrecks and vehicular wrecks in general are a big part of his movie because yeah unbreakable it's all about the train wreck uh there's the car wreck in signs there's the car crash at the end of this movie that brings Uh Haley joel and his mom together over the grandma like yeah he he definitely and also weird hatches underneath the uh the the staircase was featured in signs and this movie i'm not sure if there's one in unbreakable but uh Hmm. yeah he does have his little I guess signature signature marks. Sure. Uh, I want to talk about a couple questions. Will something like the Sixth Sense ever happen again? Because the Sixth Sense was largely pre-internet. I mean, I know it was like the dial-up era. There was, but like the Twitter didn't exist, Facebook didn't exist, Reddit didn't exist. I don't know that a movie with this kind of twist uh, could stay hidden under the current environment like if you don't see something on opening weekend you're probably going to hit it like no matter how hard you try unless you stay off of all of the internet which is almost impossible Mm. for most people uh do you think that we'll ever have an event like this where like you know oh have you seen the sixth sense oh i can't oh wait till you do there's it's it's amazing like without people just like being jerks and spoiling it i I don't know that there is something like i i I mean inception kind of was that way Okay. Um, yeah, it feels like, like it's hard. I, I, I had a. I still don't understand Tenet. So that's, I, I, that's one yeah, way to hide to why. hide a twist. Is you just like what? Did, where where was the twist? Was that the midpoint in the movie? The end? Is supposed to watch this thing backwards? What the? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's a good question. I think it's certainly harder to do nowadays. Uh, it's funny this movie came out at the same time as Blair Witch Project, and Blair Witch Project had like this marketing campaign which probably couldn't exist on the internet today oh shit 99 was the year of the twists because the matrix like its trailer was essentially what is the matrix right right what is go to what is the matrix.com speaking of the internet because like what the fuck is like i i walked into the matrix not really knowing i knew it was going to be mind-blowing and jaw-dropping but i didn't know how this shit fit together and what the story was going to be yeah like yeah 99 had a lot of that kind of stuff mm-hmm I don't know huh. if it's possible. Um, it's certainly harder. I know that much. Um, let's talk about M. Night Shyamalan's career and like what the fuck happened to this guy. So he starts off in 1998 making this movie called Wide Awake, which lar- I've never seen. It's largely panned. 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, made no money. Uh, then the next year he sells a script for $3 million on spec. This movie. Uh, because this, yeah. the script is a banger. It's yeah, it's the sixth sense. <laughs> I read that uh, the, obviously the guy who optioned this movie got fired very soon after. Right. Because he didn't get permission. He just like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy this three million dollar script. You see how hot this script is and given. I, I hope and they also hired hire- his ass back after the box office numbers on this thing. I so in that it's interesting because like a lot of it's it's. it's it's a fun little game to anytime you see like a first time anybody uh, to go onto a Wikipedia article and look at their parents uh, and see if they have Wikipedia articles. Now, M. Knight is a son of immigrants uh, from India, first generation. So that's kind of like a disadvantage. But his parents also were both physicians, clearly very wealthy. Hmm. Okay. Um, 
but like the 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 chutzpah of this guy coming off of a bomb. I got this script. It's three million bucks if you want it. Oh, by the way, if you yeah. option it, I have to be the director. Yeah, like what? I don't know how, how? it ever got bought. How did this happen? Yeah, and it, it actually got the guy. I wonder if this guy like got any kind of revenge because like you know you get this movie and it's universally acclaimed. It, it gets nominated for all these awards and it makes like what. 30 times its budget to is the darling of the like like does does he get rehired does he get like he should yeah well, i don't know i don't know, I don't know. It's, it's debatable like yeah he picked a, a massive success but he also did it just unilaterally i i don't know subverting the yeah. process is probably an offense in itself but yeah it made 40 or it cost 40 million dollars to make it made like 630 million in yeah, the box crazy. office so crazy it return. massive success no it was actually uh, the the second movie to do, I want to say ten weeks in a row, eight weeks in a row at number one in the box oh, office. Number one only, only after Titanic. Uh, this mm. was the second movie to do it, which is kind of shocking. Oh, the word of mouth on this movie was an, insane because everybody's like, "You got to see this movie." It's like yeah. one of the best movies I've seen, and it's shocking and all this it's stuff. Mind blowing, yeah. So he follows this up a year later, runs Bruce Willie back to the box office with Unbreakable, my favorite of his films. I love this movie. <laughs> um, then he comes back two years later with Signs, another one that I love, uh, another m- kind of more traditional, I guess, horror movie. Uh, Unbreakable is kind of like a, a swerve away from that uh, with a twist, although it's hard to really put your finger on what the twist is in, in Signs. Then he has The Village, another uh, psychological, quasi-supernatural thriller with a twist. Um, it's starting to, like, this is where you start getting into the below 50% Rotten Tomatoes. I still really like The Village. I thought The Village was great. A great performance by Joaquin Phoenix and Bryce Dallas Harper. Howard, rather. Then you get Lady in the Water. And that's where, like, I still like Lady in the Water. But for a lot of people, the, the wheels really fucking came off there. Paul Giamatti running some kind of motel that's visited by some water sprite. That's chased by some wolfoid bullshit. Like, I, I think it's great as a like mm-hmm. a modern day fairy tale, like a, a grim brother fairy tale. But a lot of people don't like it. Then the happening. Every, everybody hates the happening, even though the first third of that movie, I think, works really well as a horror film. It's just the, the twist is so fucking stupid. And Donnie Wahlberg is so miscast, like as this brilliant geneticist. It just doesn't fucking work. And then the, the last airbender comes and just destroys his career. He got like something like $200 million to make this movie. It barely made 300 globally. Uh, and I mean, just, he had this, yeah, it was going to be this fat franchise. that's super popular. And he just destroys it with one film. And it took him a long time to where he could get, you know, something going again. I know he sold the script for like the visit, which did pretty well. Then he had that uh, devil movie that he wrote that everyone really liked. And then split. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You know, split where he really, and, and I got very excited when I saw split because, Oh my God, unbreakable. We got this trilogy. We're bringing Mr. Glass back. And, and then James he, he shit the bed. James, he shit the bed with glass. Um, what do you think is this dude's deal? Why did, did he, because I've read a bunch of interviews and he's uh, clearly uh, he believes in a personal code of just relentless optimism and believing that the universe gives you what you put into it. So like he very rarely is just like, yeah, I suck. I mean, he gave this one commencement speech, which is essentially a little bit like that. Like, yeah, I suck. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't 
I, I I'm, I'm disappointing myself. I mean, and, that's just you know, an blah, artist blah, blah. being an artist. Like, I, I have he, to but he's remarkably free from from this kind of things. And then you know, like, what happened to him? My theory is he felt like he had to just keep topping himself in these twists, and that's just hard to do. It's mm-hmm. really hard to do without having an occasional miss. Um. And he felt I felt like in a lot of interviews, he started to feel pigeonholed like he never thought he wanted to be like the Stephen King master Hitchcock Hitchcock master of suspense horror. He had other stories he wanted to tell. And every time he tried to get in that lane, people hated it. And he was kind of like pissed about it. And now I guess he feels like, you know, like if I had I, I, I read this interview where he's like, it feels silly that I ever felt like if I got to make great thrillers the rest of my life, that that would be like some kind of failure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a victim I, I of know. his own success sort of thing. Like, yeah. the Sixth Sense is so good and so talked about and so successful that that's just now who he is to everyone. And yeah. if he tries to do something else, people are automatically going to side eye it. Yeah, uh, I mean, in some ways you feel for him there, but in other ways you're like, well, this is like a second time screenwriter with uh, a bomb under his belt selling a three million dollar mm-hmm. option. Come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he's set for life off this one screenplay. If he never works again, yeah, he he might be sad. But uh, I don't know, man. I, he wants to. Like a lot of the la- the last few movies clearly. he's done has been self financed. Like he like you know went into debt, you know yeah. uh, mortgaged his home to make Split, uh, and that kind of paid off for him. And then glad. So I I I don't know. I I his first three films are I think unimpeachable. Like you can, you can really start to uh, pick holes with uh, signs because like there is like not necessary plot holes, but it's, it's much more works on a, like a moral um, like m- morality tale or a fable kind of level than it does like as a, just a strict sci-fi horror film. I thought that felt a little more like Hollywood type of movie. Um, yeah. Like it was leaning from like these low budget, well not even low budget honestly just like these indie vibes into the more hollywood type of uh grandeur and we're still we grounded that in, in, in the characters yeah. yeah and the family you know you got this family and this this guy is priest who lost his wife and it sent him into tailspin and his brother kind of moved in with them like that stuff all the relationship between the brothers the relationship between the dad and the kids all that stuff works really well and i think these these like i said his first three movies are 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 are, are as far as personal trilogies go right up there. Sure. Um, and I, I just feel like, yeah, that the, the weight of expectations, like I just think, see him in a pitch room. He's like, he's just telling the story. Well, what, when, when's the twist coming in night? And he's like, ah, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess uh, it can actually be, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, it's, it's very hard for me to understand how like the last airbender happened though. Like I, Maybe he just has no business with big block, big, big blockbuster Hollywood budget stuff. Uh, he tried to do that on the cheap with glass. And honestly, that's where glass started falling apart. Like it needed some big kind of Avengers level thing at the end. And he just didn't have the I don't think he has that doesn't have that particular talent, nor did he have the budget to pull it off. Yeah. But um, and yeah, but but on the other hand, if he feels pigeonholed in, in low budget psychological thrillers, then and that's the thing he's really, really good at. What are you going to do? There's just one more thing I want to talk about, and it's the the end of this movie, the twist, um, where you find the out twist. that Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time. Uh-huh. Uh, I remembered that being a lot more concrete of a statement without all the flashbacks, because 
you, you almost don't have to go back and watch this movie a second time uh, to to see if it all hangs together because they uh-huh. show you now it all hangs together. Like here's a flashback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, like here's not just one flashback. Here's eight of them. Uh, look at all these. Look at all these. Go back look at all, look at all these flashing with him red lights. Yeah, you, you flew through. Yeah, yeah. Fuck right. you guys. <laughs> We're gonna put it all on the screen here for you at the end. I thought I remembered it being more concrete than she's cradling a ring that rolls out from under a couch, and that's the mind blowing moment. But you know, I, I I vividly remember the feeling of having my mind blown uh, when I watched. That's this the movie. thing is that moment holds up. Like you need like thirty yeah thirty seconds of flashbacks to be like what what oh god oh oh like yeah like yeah. it the, it's kind of a massive flex. The movie is just like look at all the things that you missed in <laughs> in context, and it's like not uh, even refilm like just straight up as clips of like yeah her pulling the bill and him wrestling with the yeah. Um, I, I I wondered it when it was coming whether that would feel a little indulgent because they I forgot like it they really lay it on thick like they have yeah. Haley Joel coming in there I see dead people they don't even know they're dead they just see what they want to see um but I don't know it still worked like it didn't feel uh-huh. indulgent because it's such a great moment and the build up is so well done that you're like yeah movie take a victory lap Take take 30, take 60 seconds if you need it. Bask in this, yeah. you know, and I like how they mix the flashbacks in with new footage. Right. So we get more of right. the story. We see the oh, no, there's actually a table in front of the door. Oh, no, he yeah. actually died after this gunshot. Um, there's the bu- bullet hole and he's it's like, why isn't he bleeding? Oh, because he's he fell on his back. and He's massively bleeding on his back. Right. And, and I think the other reason it works is because Bruce Willis, the character is figuring out that he's dead at the exact same. So like you're yeah. also on his, he's reeling that like, Oh my God, I'm dead. Oh my God. My, I I'll, my wife doesn't love me anymore. She's trying desperately not to, or something like that. Like all that stuff. Like, yeah, it's, it's not just a movie being like, haha, how clever we are. It's also, Hey, give Bruce a little chance to process this shit too. Yeah. Uh, it just really works really well. It does. Is that all we got? That's it. I do want to encourage people, if you, if you liked our discussion here, we did uh, a Stereo.com show after our science, uh, science Fiction uh, Sunday show, where we talked a little bit about M. Night's career, and we opened up the lines to the audience. Uh, we're going to be doing these Stereo.com after shows for our Walking Dead coverage, speaking of horror. Uh, we're starting up season 10 this week. Uh, every Wednesday night at nine o'clock, we're going to be doing a brief like 30 minute probably after show where we talk a little bit about the episode and uh, we invite people to come on and, and uh, use the stereo dot com uh, interface to, to leave us um, live messages. You can you can leave feedback in your own voice right from your cell phone. If you go to stereo dot com slash bald move, you can download the app there and you can follow along because, again, for the next several weeks, every Wednesday at 9 p.m., we're going to be doing that. And that's going to be calm our uh feedback uh show essentially for the walking dead so we're going to be doing that we're pretty excited about and as a preview we're going to be dumping in this feed uh our discussion about m night Shyamalan's career and our after discussion of signs so check that out if you want some more content otherwise thanks very much for for being on this uh prestigious journey with us to to, through a 22 year old movie that we really enjoyed we'll be back in the weeks to come with more uh prestige films in the prestige slot because we got plenty of pulp with the walking dead uh but we're not sure what's going to be the next prestige show and we're going to keep doing classic movies until we figure it out uh again thanks for your support and uh we'll see you on the next one